Good morning, folks. It's good to be here with you this morning. Why don't we stand together? And this morning I'm going to be sharing with you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. So would you follow along with me as I read? And we'll just begin our time of study worshiping him, just listening to his word. All right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. I like that. Amen? He did, he did deliver us. He's, we're trusting him that he's going to deliver us from whatever we need to today, and he's going to deliver us. Never stops his work for us. Let's pray. Sweet Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here at Valley Baptist this morning. Thank you for this congregation and their love for you and for your word and for one another. Uh, thank you for their pastor. We just ask you to bless Gunnar and his wife and kids as they travel. And bring them back here safely. Um, Lord, we, we thank you that we have this opportunity this morning to worship you, uh, to fellowship with each other, to be able to open up your word, the bread of life. And eat of it, Lord, this morning. Would you please give us ears to hear what you want to say to each of us as we face our lives, Lord, the good things and the hard things, Lord, that you might be glorified and that you might use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, um, and just by way of some introduction, my name is Pat Kenny. I pastored Calvary Chapel Escondido just down the hill 
for 27 years, uh, from 1981 till 2008. I turned it over to a young man who was one year old when I started the church. So that, I don't know what that says, but uh, <laughs> he was in junior high when he came to the church with his family. And uh, God just blessed him. And when he got out of high school, we brought him on as an intern. And 10 years later, he stepped into pastoring the church for me. Um, I had lost my first wife to cancer in 2007. And shortly after that, I got very ill and was in and out of hospitals for about a year and a half, four major surgeries. And um, and I, it was just one of those things where it's time. It's time to have a to transition to I of, I often wondered, what about the next generation coming up? You know, if, if us older guys just stay there till we keel over, you know, how are these young guys going to be able to to step into it and experience the things we did? I was 30 when I came down here to Escondido in 1981, just to, just to, and there was a small fellowship, uh, probably about 20, 30 people Um and it was great. It was just a great experience to be able to watch a church grow and and to be in to learn how to lead, um, to learn how to pastor a flock. And I, I was realizing that a lot of times we don't let these younger guys have the chance. You know, it's kind of like Tony Gwynn playing uh, playing out there in right field, and you know anybody in the farm system while Tony was playing wasn't going to get to play right field. Uh, and you know you you need to make room for the younger guys and the next generation to bear the load, should the Lord tarry for a while. And so anyway, Miles uh, uh, had opportunities to go a lot of different places, teach a lot of different places. But one day he came into my office and said, I, I just really feel like the Lord wants me to stay in Escondido. And that kind of clicked it for me. And so in 2008, we did the transition. And uh, in 2009, I had a miracle happen in my life. Just an incredible miracle because I ran into this beautiful lady sitting right here named Pamela. And another pastor friend of mine and his wife introduced us. And we were married a year ago last May. And we are still on our honeymoon. And it's wonderful. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is my wife, Pamela Valley Baptist. And if you could continue to pray for Pamela, Pamela is active duty Navy. And uh, just got back from deployment. Uh, she was serving and still is on the USS Ronald Reagan. And uh, so as some of you know, they were out off Japan for a while helping out. And I am a Navy husband. That's correct. Or as others would say, a Navy dependent. But, but I love it. I love it. And very proud of, of her as well. So... Thank you for your prayers for those that are serving. Um, it's, I, I don't think I really understood the sacrifice, even though we live kind of in a military area. Um, I, I, and, until I got to really begin to see the insides of it and then experience what it's like for families that have to say goodbye to their spouses and dads and moms and kids that are heading off to the different assignments that they have. So thank you for your prayers. And all of you that are, if any of you are serving or have served, thank you very much as well for your service. Praise God. So uh, here we are. 
And uh, what am I doing now? Some people say, how's it feel to be retired? Like, dude, I'm not retired. <laughs> you know, I don't think you ever really retire uh, from ministry. Would you agree with me? I mean, you might not have the same position, but you never tire. You never retire from being a believer. You never retire from loving. You never retire from forgiving. And you never retire from helping. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, um, particularly because there are things that happen in our lives that sometimes brings us to a point where we want to quit. Where we, where we say to the Lord, we're finished, we're done. We've had a radical change in our life, and we've, we don't know who we are. I mean, 27 years in Escondido, from 30 to, I don't know, do the math, 57, 58. Um, that's who I was. My whole adult, pretty much my whole adult life, I was Pastor Pat, Senior Pastor, Calvary Escondido. Thank you very much. And I remember shortly after that, as I began working with this ministry I'm I'm involved with now, Shepherd Staff Missions Facilitators, and what we do is we help local churches raise up their own people to send out into the mission field. So we don't really, we, we do all the administrative support for the missionaries that are out there, but we don't take missionaries that are just random. We we work, our, our model is a vision that, and a, and a passion that we have that it really is the job of the local church to be training up the people that are going to be going out into the field. And through their ministry, through their growing up here, and being observed and nurtured and serving. Their character is being proved. And then when they go, they have a family that's going to be caring for them and supporting them and encouraging them while they're in the field. And not just, you know, see you later. Because how many of you know with missions, it can be out of sight, out of mind real quick. Well, the purpose of working with local churches is to build those teams so that that missionary doesn't get out of sight or out of mind. And they're brought before the body, and they're being prayed for, and they're being communicated with, and uh, they're, they're being helped financially. And when they decide to come back, they've got a church family that already knows them and already cares about them. It's sad to see so many missionaries come home, and the pastor has changed. Their friends and family are gone. Um, Those that have been out in the field for 15, 20 years, a lot of changes happen in churches. How many of you know that? Um, So it's really important for the local church to take the lead in caring for their missionaries from start to finish. And that's kind of what we do at Shepherd Staff. We help facilitate that. So the uh, fellow that started this ministry was my first assistant pastor at Escondido and, and really one of our first missionaries that we sent out. And we sent them to the Philippines. They planted Calvary Chapel, Cebu City. After six years, turned it over to a Filipino brother who is still pastoring it today. And, uh, and then when Jeff came back, he had the burden for, if Calvary Escondido could do it with about 100 people, you know, most small churches could catch a vision for missions. And really, there's nothing like having one of your own that goes out. Somebody you've served alongside of. I mean, it's just a different bond that happens with that. So that's what I've been doing since uh, the end of 2008. And I'm very blessed to help serve 160 missionaries that we have in about 40 different countries. 
uh, all over the place. And if you want more information about that ministry, I've got a couple brochures on the back table. One of them is just an overview of Shepherd Staff. The other one is maybe you're feeling God starting to put a tug on your heart for the field. And this can give you a little idea of what we do. Or you might be at a place where, yeah, you know, Valley Baptist has a few missionaries and, you know, probably more coming up and we need to be supporting them. There's a book that a dear friend of mine, Neil Perillo, wrote called Serving as Senders. And this teaches you how to put a sending team together and the different aspects and functions of a serving team in a local church. And if any of you are interested in that, I got a few of these in the back too, six bucks a piece. Um, but it's a great resource. It's been out for about 20 years, translated into over 20 languages, and uh, good stuff. If you're if you have a heart for missions, it's a must read. So, okay. Sorry, Gunner. You're not videotaping this, are you, Gunner? Bro. That's right. It's kind of passe now, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this morning I'd like to start with a short little passage at the end of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a little tiny three-chapter book in our Old Testament between Nahum and Zephaniah. Does that help you a lot? (laughs) It's kind of near the end of the Old Testament. And just briefly, Habakkuk was a prophet. Uh, Israel was a mess. The Babylonians were moving, uh, getting closer. Uh, the, the attitude in Israel was the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We've got the temple. We're impervious. Yeah, we might be messed up, but nobody's going to mess with us because we got the temple of the Lord. Kind of a, kind of a haughty attitude. And as, but, but it was clear that there was serious things happening. They'd gone through periods of Jerusalem being under siege, great famine, uh, horrible things that were happening. Uh, And, of course, a lack of any spark of life for the Lord in the Lord's people. And so Habakkuk's crying out and going, what's going to happen? And it's it's almost like the Lord says, you sure you really want to know? Have you ever been that way where you said, Lord, tell me what's going to happen? And you have a brother or sister go, don't ask that. Because if he told you, you'd probably vote for something else. Most of life and the trials of life, if we could write the script, we wouldn't include those. You know, it'd be a Hollywood, Disneyland. You know, I like to be comfortable. I like to be peaceful. I want everybody to like me. You know, I want to love everybody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like no waves, no storms. And yet we know that's not real because we've all been through all of that kind of stuff. So the Lord shows Habakkuk what's going to happen. And he tells him that he's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his troops in siege against Jerusalem and destroy it. To teach him a lesson. 
And Habakkuk blew his mind. He said, how can you, how can you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you bring a heathen king to discipline your people? Have you ever asked, had a why question to the Lord? Why did you do this? Why did you allow that? You know, and you start having it out with God. And so Habakkuk is going through this. And he kind of sums it up at the very end of chapter 3. In verse 16, he says, When I heard what you were going to do, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. But then he says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, though the situations in life may be devastating, verse verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I don't know what's going on, I don't understand where that's heading, but I will rejoice in the Lord. So he was going on what he knew to be true. And he knew how great God was. When we face serious trials, it's not that we're in denial of God. We just don't understand what's going on. And, and, and if in the midst of that understanding, we can just try not to lean on our own understanding, not to be such a control freak, trying to figure it all out ourselves. As the word says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with how much is all? Do you ever work that out? Equations? It's pretty basic. It, 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 and it's a word that we don't like because we always want to bargain. Your Lord, I'll give you 90%. It's kind of funny. We go on base. And they've got this sign by the guard shacks, 100% ID check. I turned to Pam the other day, wonder what a 90% ID check would be like, you know. But God says all. We know what that means. It means all. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. You want divine guidance? You want the Lord to lead you? If I'm just waiting for a message to pop up in my email from the Lord, I might be waiting a long time. Or if I'm waiting for just a vision. But he's not saying, wait for a vision, wait for something spooky, you know, something weird. Rather, he says, trust in me with all your heart and don't lean on how you're going to figure it out. doesn't mean you don't use your brain, but you make a wise decision to trust me because wisdom begins The fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we're told in Proverbs, right? So with all our, with all that is in us, when we face our situations, we filter them through him. That's what I think what it means in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Lord, here it is. And we need to talk about this. And you lay it out. But you lay it out because you know that the Lord knows and you're with him. And you begin to praise him. You know, when you begin to acknowledge the Lord, what are you doing? You're worshiping. And there's nothing like worship, even if, even in its simplest form, 
that can begin to transform your heart, can begin to settle your spirit. Uh, The knot in your stomach can start to loosen up. I mean, it's amazing the stress we can put ourselves under because of the circumstances we're trying to figure out, deal with, survive through. Amen? And I speak this because I'm an expert at knots in the stomach. Okay? Literally and figuratively. (laughs) But he says, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Interesting words there. The word, the word that means, the word that says, I will rejoice in the Hebrew literally means to jump up and down. That's a literal word. And then to, to the joy, I will joy, it's a slightly different word, but it means to spin around. Jump down, turn around, touch the ground, praise my Lord, you know, a little Sunday school song. But in, in essence, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm going to praise you. You know, as if none of this is happening. You're still real. I know you're real. I'm going to praise you and thank you. And that's when it's going to get me through. Pastor Chuck Smith um, once said, why exchange what you know for what you don't know? What do we know? We know he's the, there's the, he's the one true God. We know God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. We know that Jesus suffered and died to bear our sins on that cross at Calvary. We know he rose again from the grave. We know he breathed on his disciples and he poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. We know his love is for the world. Those are the things we know. We know he's steadfast. We know he's faithful. We know he's merciful. We know he's compassionate. I mean, we can just go down the list as we go through our Bibles. So those are the things we know. And then we hit a circumstance that messes our head. And how many times do we just short circuit? We know all this stuff, but then we get such a mess, get in such a mess, because rather than choosing to rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of our salvation, we try to deal with it ourselves. And I don't know about you guys, but I always mess it up. I always seem when I'm trying to do it, I always seem to make it a lot worse than it was in the beginning. But when God's at work in it, there is a peace that passes understanding going along with it. Sometimes the situations don't change. Sometimes you're in a battle for a long time. Joyce battled cancer for four years. Serious surgeries and chemo in and out of different treatments. It was a battle. It was a really rough battle. But it was a precious time as well. And I shared at the first service that it just seemed that this, the sicker she got, the, the more in love we fell. Which is how it should be. But boy, when she took her last breath, it was like, man, this, this really isn't happening. I know it's happened, but it's a dream. It's just a bad dream. And then a month later, I still hadn't woken up from that dream. And a year later, I still hadn't woken up. And you begin to realize that this is real. So I just say, I just share that with you. To, to I don't know what you guys have been through in your life. 
There was a season in my pastorate where everything was just cruising along and had little minor glitches along the way, but nothing really major. Didn't really lose anybody close. You know, the kids were just kids growing up. And then the kids start going bonkers and, you know, how poor teenagers, you know. It's just something, something just disengages from about 13 to 22, it seems, you know. But, but we survive it. We get through it. And, and by the grace of God, they get through it. Sometimes that was my prayer for my son. My only prayer for my son. Just keep him alive, Lord. <laughs> just keep him alive. You know, because and, and the Lord has. The Lord has. And, and some of you who knew me knew, knew some of the trials we had with my, my son. But he's, uh, he's doing well and married and giving his life back to the Lord a couple of years ago. And starting school of ministry up in Menifee next week. So it's blowing my mind. I'm just telling, really? School of ministry, huh? How much do you want? <laughs> you know the drill. You know the drill. So um, as we get into the, this passage here in, in Corinthians, we begin to see the, the nature and the character of God working in us so that he might work through us to one another. And if you can just remember, if you're blessed this morning, and how many of you would say, yes, I've been blessed. Remember this, you're blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. That is always God's economy. That's the way it's been from the beginning. God blessed Abraham. We're not going to go through the whole, the whole thing, but starting with Abraham. You know, all the nations would be blessed through his seed. Abraham was blessed. Isaac was blessed. Jacob was blessed. The kingdom of Israel was blessed under David and Solomon. And a couple other righteous kings. But the purpose of their blessing was to be a light. And an open door to the world to know the one true God. And what did they turn it into? A secret society. (laughs) This is our club. And anybody else? They're just fuel for the fires of hell. Well, that's real compassion, isn't it? You're going to win a lot of people that way. So God's heart, as you read through the scriptures, has always been for the whole world, not just the church, not just Israel, but for the heathen. And we have to remember that as as we go about our life. God blesses us with many things, not just finances, not just material things, but experiences. We could pool the experiences we have just at this service. We've got a tremendous amount of wisdom and love and care to give. That's how God works in us. And Paul's trying to relate this to the church at Corinth. And so he begins by saying, Paul, introducing himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. Grace to you. Love you guys. I can just picture him saying, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have this combination about 15 times in the New Testament. Grace and peace, grace and mercy, grace, peace and mercy. 
you know, but it, but it's very common, a common introduction. And it's important because grace, where would we be without grace? We're saved by grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8, saved by grace through faith. Not of, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by his grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace is getting what none of us deserve. That's grace. Because what do we deserve? We, yeah, we're all guilty. We've all sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all blown it. You know, if, we, if, if our standing before God has to be a perfect slate, which, by the way, it does, because we serve a holy, perfect, pure God. Amen? That's who he is. And he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. What's another thing of saying? Be perfect, for I am perfect. And what do we say in response? Oy vey. <laughs> Who can do that? And really, nobody could until Jesus came. And then Jesus, God in the flesh, put himself at that place of the big word propitiation, but substitution for you and me. So that we who were imperfect could now stand covered, forgiven, cleansed before a holy God. And not only stand before him, but have fellowship with him as well. That is a miracle. Just even if you don't know any theology, just knowing human nature, I think that's a miracle. That any of us are saved here is just a radical miracle. So I'm, I'm blessed. Grace to you. And then he says, peace from God. What is peace? One writer said, peace is the absence of spiritual stress or anxiety. It's good. How many need peace today? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, because we live in a very, we live in a very stressful, anxiety-producing culture. And everybody wants a piece of us. And if you're going to be a success, you got to just hammer. you got to strive. you got to work hard. you got to work harder than everybody else. And it's like, here's the ceiling of your existence, of your sanity, and you're always pressed up against it. Because that's our world. It's not the way it always was, but we've kind of created that. I mean, can you imagine life without a clock? There was a time where the human race existed without a clock. And then some bozo invented a sundial or something, and that started it. And now what are we doing? I had my, my eight-year-old granddaughter with me the other day in the car, and she's playing with, with, with my old iPhone, and she found the clock on it, and it's got a timer. And so she was timing everything. Timing how long I get to McDonald's. Time, timing how long it took to eat her cheeseburger. Timing how, you know, I go, oh, you poor child. Put that evil thing away. <laughs> but that's how we, you know, the clocks, the calendars. You know, we, we, we're run by them. If I lose my calendar, I have an absolute panic attack. 
It's like my life is in that chip. All my data, all my information. But it wasn't too long ago where we just looked for a phone booth when we needed to make a call. Have any of you even seen a phone booth lately? Is it weird? But it's, it's only been like 10, 15 years ago. And it's, it's that, that, that is ancient history now. Antiques. Grace and peace. We have peace through Jesus. We've been justified by faith, Romans 5.1 says. Amen. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone once told me, you can't have the peace of God, which everybody really wants, I think, until you have peace, until you are at peace with God. You can't have the peace of God unless you're at peace with God. And through Jesus, that which separated us has been taken away. And now we can have peace with God because of his love and because of our faith and our trust in him. How incredible it is that we've been given grace and peace. I've been a follower of Jesus for a while now, 40 years next month. I remember when I was a young believer sitting in a church service and I heard some old guy up there saying, I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. I go, can you believe that? That must be 40 years. I, it just could not even com- comprehend it. Of course, back in the early 70s, we all figured God, Jesus was going to come back the next day. You know, and 40 years was just unimaginable of going to church and serving the Lord. But here, 40 years later, a lot more people needed to get saved. And so the Lord has not come back yet for us. But he's still good at any moment. We need to be ready. But 40 years. And I'm so grateful for that. From a stoner to a saint. No halo today, mind you. But I, I believe I can confess a life set apart to serve the Lord and to honor him. And I, I'm grateful for his faithfulness to me and my humanness over the last 40 years. I hope you're grateful too. I hope every day you get up, you're able to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my breath. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And your mercy, which you said is new every morning. And I need it because I used it all up yesterday. Right? Sometimes we do. I can picture God going, these kids, these kids, they don't get it. So God's faithful to get us through the difficult times. And. I've had, a, I've had a blessed life. Um, my first marriage was, was awesome and wonderful. And I, I, I just could not even imagine God letting me do it again. And he has with Pam. And I'm, I know I'm talking like a newlywed. You know, I'm all guy guy. <laughs> but you'll permit me that, will you not? Thank you.
So trials did come. Tragedies did enter in. And I can stand here today and still tell you God is faithful. I cannot stand here and say I was the greatest witness of his faithfulness during those times. And I'll get into that in a moment, but let's continue through the through the text. So it says in verse three, blessed be God. Amen. Praises to his name. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies, the God of all comfort. I think really the key to beginning to walk in his peace and his grace and his mercy and his comfort begins with praise. It begins with acknowledging him and worshiping him. Blessed be you, God. I don't know what's going on here, but I know you're holy God. And I know you know what's going on. And that is the beginning. When we begin to recognize how awesome the Lord is and how good he is. The psalmist who was besieged by his enemies, David, chased by Saul for years, hiding in caves just to survive. And he writes stuff like, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I be saved from my enemies. I like that attitude. I don't always show it. But I have the model for it. The salvation from the enemies wasn't because of his military proudness. It was because of his honoring the Lord and blessing the Lord. In another place, I like this. I can't remember the address of it right off head. But it's like he's going to do, the Lord is going to do your battle for you. He's going to fight for you. When we go into battle, we go with the name of the Lord. We go honoring him. He takes care of the details. We trust him. If you're a detail person, control person, it'll be a little tougher to die to those things. And I speak as one. Most pastors I know are pretty much control guys. Type A's. Go, go, go. And somebody, I think, if I remember correctly, kind of warned me of that when I was young in the Lord and just starting to get in ministry. Watch your head. You can get really big really fast. You know? You can think you're really somebody. And you're really nobody. Best advice I think I got from one of my early pastors was stay teachable. Always stay teachable. If you start thinking you know it all, you've started the downhill fall. Especially in spiritual things. There's nothing worse than a religious know-it-all. Nothing turns my stomach more. Oh, so you don't believe this. Oh, well, did you consider blah, 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 blah. And the whole point of it is to make you feel like you're this big. And they're that big. Pardon me. All right. Father mercies. Um, and we, so we've been blessed with his grace and with his mercy. Um, when we think about God, you have to think about him as a merciful God. The Bible declares him to be the God of, of all mercy and all comfort. 
In Psalm 86, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. He doesn't, he's not cheap with mercy and truth. You don't have to just, you, you don't have to crawl up a hundred flights of stairs on your bloody knees to get him to recognize you. You just call on him because he's abundant in mercy. He abounds in mercy and truth. Isn't that good when we come to him? Because how many of you often feel like, oh, I can't talk to God. He doesn't want to hear me. I'm such a mess. He wouldn't listen to me anyway. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. Wants to hear from you. Talk to him. Who is a God like you, Micah said in Micah 7.18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. We have any iniquity here? You don't have to raise your hand too high. But they're not videotaping, so you can raise your hand. Nobody will see. Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Do you need mercy today? Most of us do. Then call upon the Lord. Say, I need you, Lord. I want to follow you. And he'll begin that work. Cleaning you up. It's really tough trying to clean yourself up. Because the kind of soap you need to clean you is supernatural. And you don't have that. It's called the blood of Jesus. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So you got to come to him. Uh, I could tell you a lot more stories. Um, I think what I'd like to address just a little bit longer is that sense of frustration when we question God's mercy. Why'd you do this, Lord? When my wife was dying, it was the last week before she passed away. I was, she passed away in, in our home. Um, I was sitting in my recliner and frowning and crying and just mad at God for allowing all this to happen. For so messing up my life. For, for not answering the prayers of thousands for my wife's healing. People were praying all over the world for my wife. And I was just stewing and mad at God who I love. <laughs> it was really a weird, it was a weird thing. But I remember in those moments, and as some of you remember too, that God, God occasionally will almost verbally talk to you. You'll just sense him speaking something right to you. And I'm arguing with him about how he's not merciful. And then he said, Pat, lift up your eyes. In other words, take your eyes off of yourself and look around. 
And when I lifted up my eyes and looked around, I saw my house just down the hill off of Valley Parkway. I saw my house filled with people. The women's ministry had been caring for my wife 24-7 for the last three weeks. Just being there with her, singing to her, reading scripture to her, just loving on her and me, um, helping out with the things of the house, helping to schedule the different helpers that were coming in. And and some were, some had smiles and were laughing. Others were crying because they just came out of the room, you know. But it was it was a family working together. And and I just I did I I wasn't giving thanks for that until that moment. And then I was able to look around, and the Lord said, "There's my mercy. Hang in there. You're going to get through it." Don't doubt my mercy. Have I got a plan for you? But I didn't want to hear the plan. I wanted her to be well. I didn't care. And I had, you know, Rick, I had guys come and people say that, you know, God's going to work all things together for the good, brother. And I want to take them out and punch them. That's how much I received what they were saying. Have you ever felt that? There's a time for preaching and then there's a time for compassion and comfort. And and a lot of times we don't get it. You know, we we think, well, you know, I just got to throw a scripture out. No, you don't. Put your arm around them. Just cry a little with them. Say, I don't know why this is happening. As a younger minister, I, I was told that many times. When people lose a loved one or have an accident or something and they ask you as the minister to come to their house or the bedside in the hospital and they always ask you, Pastor, why did this happen? And they and and I would be told, if you try to answer that, you will get eaten, you'll get devoured. Because you don't have the answer for it. And as I said earlier, even if you did, it wouldn't satisfy. When you're hurting Even if you knew the purpose of it, the hurt overflows that. The pain just blocks all of that out. Does that make sense? Did you hear what I'm saying here? So it's okay to say, I don't know why this is happening. But I know God is God. And I'm going to stick here with you. And I'll be your friend through this. And when you're ready to talk, we'll talk. But now might be just a time for weeping. It's a lot harder because some of us are, some of us got the gift of gab. And, you know, we like, we, we're very uncomfortable if we're not talking. <laughs> and when somebody talks to us, we're already forming our answers in detail of what we're going to, what we're going to say. And it's a real art to learn to listen. But may I encourage you, when you're around people that are really hurting, ask God for the grace to listen. You don't have to say anything. So, summarizing some of these verses, he comforts us in our tribulation for a purpose. He's telling us in advance that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble 
So that kind of opens up ministry, doesn't it? Because <laughs> look around Valley Center. Look around your own family. There's a lot of people in trouble. God wants to use us to take our blessings and bless others. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And, you know, sometimes we can look at that and say, well, that's a nice, well-packaged verse, but it often takes months, if not years, to unwrap. God never wastes the trials we go through. He always has a purpose. He's always preparing us for what's next. And often when we're hurting, all we can think about is our pain. We can't think about God's wonderful plan. We usually don't understand or see it when we're going through it. But God is at work in us that he might demonstrate his grace and his mercy and peace and comfort through us. I thought I understood that. But God was still molding and shaping me. And then after losing my wife, losing my church. I didn't really lose it like, gee, where did I put my phone? You know, kind of a thing. But, but a transition was being orchestrated by the Lord. He had something else he wanted me to be doing. And he wanted to raise up young Miles to take, to take it on to the next 10, 15, 20 years if the Lord should tarry. I didn't like that. I knew it was him, but I didn't like it because that was my comfort zone. It's all I knew. And that was being taken away. And in the midst of all of that, my colon starts going weird and they have to go in and cut out a big chunk of it and the surgery goes bad. And then they have to go in again. I'm split open twice in six weeks. Got bags on both sides. I mean, it was just, well, not both sides. I had bags on this side. And then they took that off and put a bag on this side. And it was a, it was a year and a half of just, what are you doing? How am I going to minister? How? Why? What? You know, just all those, all those questions. But God is God's at work, and and He's at work in you and me. We don't see it. We don't see the finished thing until you really go through it. Uh, some of you knew Dwayne Carter over here. Uh, Dwayne was a good friend, Lonnie. And uh, they lost their daughter tragically. And then uh, just, just a short time later, Dwayne dropped dead suddenly. And Lonnie was an amazing pillar of strength through it. But what that tragedy did to her is it forced her deeper into the Lord. And I remember meeting her at a community meeting. Um, I served uh, not only as a pastor, but also as a chaplain with the Escondido Police Department. And we had these community meetings where we would come and just discuss community issues. And Lonnie was there. And we were sitting across from each other and just began to just talk a little bit about what we've been through and how faithful God's been. And she says, you know, until you've been where we've been, you just don't really understand. God has taken us deeper, not more important, not better than anybody else. I'm not better than you because I had this trial. 
But God's taken us deeper into him. That we might be able to minister to those who are facing it and going through it. Because we can look at them and go, I know what you're going through. Is that an asset? When I got saved, I mean, I was a pot smoking, speed popping, burned out, whatever, at the age of 22. And I got saved, radically saved. Jesus took over my life. And then we'd go back out into the streets and minister to other stoners. And I could look at them and go, I know what you're going through. I'm not proud of what I went through. But I know the hold that it has on you. And this is, the, this is what suffering can do in our lives. It seems bad as we're going through it, but God is able to take it. Take you deeper into him so that you have even more in your reservoir to give out to those that are going to be dying of thirst. They're needing, in it. They're needing your love and your compassion and your mercy. God's blessed us with all, with mercy and compassion for us being people of mercy and compassion. It's not just for me. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. And that's the, that's the essence of this text here in these first 10 verses. And I'd encourage you to really, really focus on, on, focus on them. Take some time to meditate in them. Chew on them. Verse 5 talks about sufferings. And he says, as, not if, but as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Bummer, we might say. But so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And the word abound is a word that means to exceed a fixed number of measure, to be left over and above a certain number of measure. But it's, an also, it's a word that is also used for a flower going from a bud to a full bloom. Abounding. Now, I don't know what suffering a bud goes through, you know, being formed and then just... Because, you know, if you try to help a bud, if you've got a rose bud and you start peeling off the outside layers, what do you do to the rose? You kill it. Right. So there's obviously some effort that the rose bush is putting into that. And that's the word that's used in the Greek there. It's necessary for it to be healthy, for it to be fruitful and productive. It has to go through it. So do we. Trials are the norm. I don't think the Lord delights in trials. I don't think he delights in our suffering. I don't think he's up there with Michael and the archangels and everybody going, okay, how can we really mess up their day today. This is a kicker. Great idea, Paul. You know, I, I don't, that, that's Greek mythology. That's not Bible, right? I don't think God is that way. We don't, when we read through the scriptures, we don't see that in his nature. But he does use them. And as many trials come your way, comfort will come as well. Spurgeon said a little experience of the real trials of life would be of essential service to many professing believers. Nothing promotes true sympathy like a kindred spirit. So Paul sees the value in his sufferings for Christ as giving him such an abundant expression 
in God's comfort that it results in having within himself that great capacity to give comfort to others. Verse 6 says, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective. It works. It's effective for enduring the same sufferings that we're going through. It works. And if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. Paul said, I I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I got to tell you, I don't like being afflicted. I don't pray for affliction. I don't teach courses on affliction. How to be afflicted in 10 easy steps. But affliction has taken me deeper in the Lord and his faithfulness like nothing else could. I can still say to the Lord now, I hope you don't have more. That's my humanness saying, because I don't like to hurt. If you like to hurt, you're weird. Something's wrong. We're we're very self-protective. Our bodies do amazing things to protect itself. But understanding that there's life after pain. There's love after pain. There's caring and giving after suffering. There's fruit. In fact, there's joy that would cause you to jump up and down and spin around. I think that's really cool. Real blessing from the Lord. And so Paul says, our hope for you is fixed. It's steadfast. Because we know. We know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, guys, get this. We know this. Yeah, I know you're going through a hard time in Corinth at that time. But as you're a partaker of the sufferings, you're also going to partake of the consolation. But you've got to go through it. Someone once said, there is no oil without squeezing the olives. There's no wine without pressing the grapes. There's no fragrance without crushing the flour. And there's no real joy without sorrow. Didn't 1 Corinthians 13 say, love suffers long and is kind? Real love suffers. You know, puppy love gets blown off at the first little trial. But real love goes through. And love is not a feeling. The kind of love we're talking about here, I'm sure Pastor Gunner is... Hammered that with you guys before, but love, God's love, isn't, ooh, I'm so in love. Feels so good. Can't be wrong because it feels so right. (laughs) But that's not real biblical love. Real love is Jesus getting his hands nailed to the cross and saying, Father, forgive them, for for they know not what they're doing. That's love. It's not a feeling. I mean, feelings do get attached to it. But love is, is, a, is an act of obedience. It's an act of worship to God. I'm going to love my wife. You're going to love your husband. I'm going to love my parents and my kids. I'm going to love my enemies. Because the love of God covers a multitude of sin. 
And through him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even put up with you. (laughs) And it's amazing. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's not happening in your house. You know people whose houses it is happening in. And people who once were madly in love with each other are at each other's throats. They hate each other. How's that happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually as different choices are being made to say, well, you didn't make me feel good. I wonder why you didn't make me feel good. Who you seen? What you doing? You know? And once trust is broken, it's hard to get it back. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I like how the word says, behold, all things become new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. Once the Holy Spirit starts working in your life, you've got a whole new set of rules. Not rules that go do this, do that, do that. But a whole set of things that now govern things that are going to be going on in your life. It's the Holy Spirit at work. And you may have been a mess and a disaster in relationships. But as you submit yourself to the Lord. And you start becoming more like him as you study his word, you change. And the same Holy Spirit that we're talking about here is working in your life. He's for all of us. We just got to let him. Amen. Then we end with Paul saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia. It was bad. We were burdened beyond measure. We couldn't handle it. It was above strength. How many of you said that before to somebody or to God? I can't go on. I'm out of gas. I don't have any more to give. Above strength so that we even despaired of life. Forget it, Lord. Just take me home now. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be with you. Just just end it. And I'm, I'm... Hadn't really gotten to that kind of point until after I lost my wife. And I remember walking down Valley Parkway one day, maybe a good year, six months to a year after she was gone. Kind of healing from one of my surgeries and walking down and here comes the 367 bus coming down Valley Parkway. And I'm thinking, well, I could end this right now. Just two steps over. Away I go. What happened to him? Oh, he slipped off the curb. But that freaked me out. Just the fact that I would even think that sends shivers down my spine. I said, God, what's what's happening? I feel so done. And the Lord whispered to me two words. Can you guess what they might have been? I'm not. Pastor Pat, I'm not done yet. <gasps> oh, yeah, huh? <laughs> you still God, huh? <laughs> I, th- I mean, it may seem real simple to you guys, but I'm so glad the Lord did that to me. To just to remind me, and perhaps that'll be a help to you when you think like there's just no going on. Hey, God's not done yet. You'll know when it's really done because we'll be standing in glory with the Lord when it's really done. But until that time, there's still much work to be done. There's much 
blessing to give. And that began a turnaround in my own heart from that point on. So Paul's saying, hey, we had trouble, affliction, hardship. That's what that pressing together means. We, we, we don't want you to be aware of the realities of the battle, folks. We're, we were burdened beyond measure, pressed down beyond our own power. It reminds me of a story I read of a gal from Oklahoma. She said, it was one of the worst days of my life. My spouse was deployed. The internet was down. The washing machine broke. The telephone kept ringing. My head ached. The mail carrier brought a bill. I didn't have enough money to pay. And almost to the breaking point, I lifted my one-year-old into his high chair leaned my head against the tray and began to cry. And without a word, my son took his pacifier out of his mouth and stuck it in mine. (laughs) You're not done, Mom. I'm only one. (laughs) But the the Phillips translation says, at the time we were completely overwhelmed, the burden was more than we could bear In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. It wasn't. God wasn't done. And I'm really glad Paul shares that with us. It takes a great soul to admit failure. And Paul bears his heart here and shares with you and I the troubles he endured. And he wrote this not to win their sympathy, but to teach them the lesson that he learned. Trust God alone. If you're looking for a quick fix, you may find something to ease your pain for the moment but it won't help a lick in developing your character, your faith, your compassion for others who are suffering. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. The Lord said to Jeremiah, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But he who glories Let him glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. And then we have that last closing promise. He he delivered us from so great a death. He does deliver us. And in whom we trust, he will still deliver us. His comfort is is an established reality of the character of God. His comfort is a present work given to you and me today. And his comfort will be a future help and hope to others through you and I. He has been faithful. He is faithful. He will ever be faithful. Then, now, forever. What a mighty God we serve. May he use our suffering for his glory. May we be a blessing to one another as we just go through life. Would you pray with me? Sweet Lord, thank you. There's a song, oh Lord, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storms, through every high, through every low, Lord, you never let go of me. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness this morning, not only in my life, but in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. Might you strengthen your people uh, through your word today and through your word working in our lives as we go home. Lord, would you just please bless this work here? May we shine for you in this community. And would you use us, Lord, 
to be a source of a reservoir, if you will, a blessing and encouragement and help. Because you've been faithful to help us and encourage us through our difficulties. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We give you our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.